Hi everyone, I'm Dalen, founder and design educator at Curious Core. Welcome to our Working in UX Design podcast series, where we interview a UX design leader in the industry on their experience in this emerging field. We've had UX professionals from Grab, AirAsia, Google, and more join us previously, and we're bringing you more exciting interviews this year. Stay tuned for this week's interview with our special guest, who is working in UX design. All right, good evening, everyone. I am Dylan. I'm the founder of Curious Core, and welcome to our monthly webinar, Working in UX Design. And this month, we have a ex-colleague of mine, Archmal, who's here on our show. So whether you're listening to our podcast or watching our webinar, uh, we welcome you very much to the show. And please allow me to give a brief introduction about Archmal. Before we continue, so Ajmal is actually a Malaysian, and he's a design executive living in Singapore.、Uh, he's currently the lead product designer at Grab, and he shares a vast work experience of more than eight years in the digital design industry as a product designer. And he previously started his career as a digital marketer and front-end developer for different startups in Kuala Lumpur before he actually came to Singapore. Uh, to pursue a career, where I actually met him as a fellow colleague at Aviva, which is an insurance company. So Ashmal is really knowledgeable, like he、uh, about code, and he started as a front-end developer and designer, and hence the title of our talk, from code to canvas,、uh, where he gradually eyewitnesses、uh, sort of like transformation from code to design. And I think over the last couple of years at Grab, he has grown. A lot as well, so I'm very eager to catch up with him this evening to learn a little bit more about his work at Grab, his working experience in Singapore so far as a Malaysian expatriate, and also he mentioned something about behavioral design. So I think that's a very interesting view that I think some of you might be keen to listen more about. So Ashmal, thank you so much for joining us this evening. How is it going today? Hey, Dylan. Thank you for the very kind words and comprehensive introduction. You know, it's been a long day today. Just come back from work, but yeah, it's.、Uh, I'm excited to be here and honored to, to join you. Well, thank you so much for spending time to give back to the community. And we have in our audience some of my students as well. So some of them are based in Singapore, and we, of course, have our usual audience around the region. So it's quite an interesting audience setup right here. And maybe let's just start off with like the nature of your work. You know, like since you were speaking about it, what are you busy with these days at Grab? Good question. Um, so when I joined Grab, I joined a team at that time. It's called um economics team, and they changed the name to Marketplace. But it's not like this, you know, carousel like、uh, Marketplace, right?、So、it's just you know supply and demand, right? So Marketplace, and then. In January 2020, I joined design system team. So what I'm busy with this day is first, I guess, dealing with design system, you know, products and and processes. Those are the stuff. I guess at my level as lead as well, doing what I have to do at my role, like interviewing, all this kind of stuff, help with the interview, as a panel and stuff like that. Yeah.、Mm. So it sounds like you have responsibilities to hire new people. And it sounds like you're still busy working on design systems. Just for the benefit of those people who are not aware what a design system is, in your own words, how would you 
explain that to a layman? Yes, very good question, Dylan. I guess these changes every day, depending on, <laughs> you know, depending on what I eat, I guess every day it depends. Today, I would describe it as this uh, three P's, right? The people, processes and product, right? So if you choose, let's say we it's product first. So what is the product of design system? You can say it's a documentation website, it's a code libraries, you know, design UI kits and stuff like this, right? Um, so something that a consumer, let's say a designer and engineer can consume, right? That's a product. Then processes is like, let's say I want to add a new component or I have a question, how do I use these components? And you must have a process, right? Like, do I message you at Slack or do I schedule a call, right? So you have to create those processes, right? Just generalizing here, right? And lastly, it's people, right? So it's all about people. So if, if you create a robust system, but nobody use it, is it a good system, right? So you have to think about adoption, right? So when you think about adoption, from my sort of like perspective, it's about campaigning, I call it, right? Or marketing. So you have to market your product, right? So that people are aware and people will use it and understand it and even collaborate, right? And contribute to it, yeah. Well, thank you for explaining that. I mean, it's nice to see you working on it because I remember working on a similar project while we were working together. Uh, and I, <laughs> I think I still remember you explaining to me the BEM framework. I was like, oh, like Ajmal taught me this, <laughs> like this programming framework from, from being a developer. You want to help like people understand that? I mean, I thought it was very useful because when Later, subsequently, when I started working, I was like uh, talking to the developer, like, do you guys use BM? <laughs> yeah. I think we can skip those. So I guess, like, I don't know if like the best practices, if that is the, the latest one. But yeah, so BM, what does it stand for, um, Dylan? The BM, it's block, element, and modifier. Uh, it was like sort of like a coding best practice or something like that. Um, CSS, yeah, CSS naming, yeah. So that's, I mean, just just in general, it's always good to have good code hygiene and things like that. So that's um, that's something I learned from you. I, I remember that. Yeah. So I, I think another thing that you wanted to talk a little bit more about is behavioral design. I'm I'm curious, like, how is that related to design system work that you're doing, like all this behavioral design stuff? Oh, good question. You you throwing me all this heavy. <laughs> Okay, maybe maybe let's just start with like a very simple question. Like, what is behavioral design, right? In your own words, yeah. Right, right. I'm a bit hesitant. So maybe I give you a bit context, right? So I think I come from a place of privilege. When I joined, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, right? I joined uh, economics team. I mean, we function like, like an end-to-end department, right? Where we have PMs, we have designers, we have analytics and engine, everyone, right? And then... In marketplace team or in economics team, we have a behavioral scientist when I joined, right? Uh, we hire like two or three behavioral scientists. So obviously when we do our features or product, we have their input and their sort of like strategy even, right? They come up with like behavioral economics actually, right? So because they are behavioral scientists, so it's more around behavioral economics. Um, so I'm just there to learn and absorb, I would say, right? Compared to them, like some of them are like even have master, have PhD and all this kind of stuff. So I, I wouldn't call myself a behavioral designer, right? But what I get to, like I say, as a privilege, I get to work with them and see how, you know, with behavioral economics and design, how do we find a synergy, right? When I do, let's say, a workshop for ideation, right? So instead of like maybe the common ones, 
now I get another fresh perspective from uh, behavior economics, right? So you're looking at things like priming, nudging, you know, all this choice architecture, you know, there's a lot of like depth and pillars, right? Yeah. So, so depending on the project, I get to uh, an intern <laughs> for the behavior uh, scientist team, right? So I'm just there to learn from them. And after years and years of doing it now, I'm sort of like trying to build a self-self tool internally with, within Grab, right? Where yeah, I'm sort of like become the go-to person if you want to discuss or, or learn more about behavioral science, right? Um, wow. So am I right to say that after sort of observing how your behavioral scientists work at Grab, you've sort of synthesized many of those learnings into like a tool that anyone in the company can use it and choose to apply it in their designs is that right um yeah so i would say we co-create and co-author the tools together right so we get together we we also close outside work so we just come up with the initiative it's almost like a bottoms up initiative so like because i think one thing that we realize as well if that we have this passion and have this concern or dimension if you want to call it that but not everyone might be interested in that right? let's say we trying to do something in the design process let's say right but then or not everyone think, oh, I should include, you know, this behavioral design or behavioral science perspective, right? Um, and there are teams who are interested, but then there's only two of us. I cannot attend all the meetings, right? So being a lead, I guess, one of the challenge I set myself is how do I scale myself, right? So one way is to create a tools where at least if it's like surface level, they can use the tool, but if they need more in-depth guidance or consultation, then we can have a, a call or, or meetings. Yeah, that's really smart. I think this is the same problem with data, right? Like helping people become more data aware and the data scientists can be like everywhere. So it's kind of like a system is needed or two is needed to help support that initial engagement or to help them to be a little bit more self-serve, right? In terms of learning it. Um, I want to maybe contextualize an example. I don't know if it's commercially sensitive to share, but maybe can you share with me an example of a nudge that Grab uses? Or what do you think is something that you can share that's a behavioral design example? Right, so maybe maybe I can reframe your question. So you're you're right, right? So maybe I I can't really yeah, speak for. Yeah, you can share grab, but maybe you can share yeah. behavioral design. Right, right. Yeah. So some of the thing that comes on top of mind that let's say maybe everyone here watch Netflix, right? So when you watch Netflix, you notice there's this, right? Maybe you know it does it was not an intentional thing, but the moment we listen to that trigger it almost like put us in this like relaxed mode right oh i'm watching this thing right so so that is priming right and then things like let's say you want to let's let's create some crazy example right let's say today if i open google map right and then i want to go somewhere a concept of nudging is like so let's say instead of i'm looking at this mrt there's bus and stuff right so a digital nudge would be like something that maybe if Today, if you see the Google map, it's very neutral, right? Like it's like showing you as a user what you choose. But maybe a good nudge, maybe if, if MRT is so busy, maybe it's best to actually consider a bus, right? So by showing those signal in on the map, like 
now we're talking about the overlap with design, right? You can signal with green color dot or gray color dot, right? So then this interface is telling me or signaling to me. If I go to the MRT, it'll be very busy, right? If I go to the bus, it's a bit more, you know, spacious and stuff. Like so then, then that's a good nudge, right? Then I will go to the bus instead of. So those are some of the made up <laughs> on top of my head. So maybe it's not yeah, a very yeah, good example. Um, they are excellent. I think it's all around us. It's a matter of actually whether we notice it or not. Like an example would be, as I remember, like using confirmation bias or like instead of getting people to say yes to a new status subscription, sometimes the company just like selects yes for you. So it's actually a lot harder for for you to say no because it's an extra step, right? And actually, that Do you, I like that you mentioned that, but then there's there's a borderline of dark pattern, right? So yeah, that 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 that's definitely uh, dark patterns there. Me, right? Yeah. So actually, let's let's discuss this. So I think that's a good point, right? So I think at least in my work, I grab part of the dimension that we try to cover is to have this thing called ethical audit as well as part of it. So there's this spectrum of like I think a recent example of like let's say Robin Hood, I think was had this issue where you know this young kid. Because there's no limit to its gamification, right? And then all of a sudden, this kid um, uh, owe a lot of money, and then he he or she I forgot, right? Took their uh, own life. So right? for yeah. the audience benefit, Robinhood is like a stock trading app which has gamification elements, which means every single transaction or every single trade you do, they celebrate it with like confetti being thrown around. So it really makes you feel good as a user that. Hey, you know, like you did like a really awesome job, like investing, and someone committed suicide because the person thought he owed like a million dollars or something, like several years ago. So that's what Ajma is talking about over here for ethical design. When you say ethical design audit, like who does it? Like, is it like a policing thing or is it like voluntary? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I think that's why I say I co-author, right? So there's certain things where I, I'm hesitant, right, to call it behavior design because I think I. If I were to describe it myself, right, there's another sort of like perspective where I call it like macro and micro, right? So at macro level, that's where you know the behavior scientists sort of like let's say this audit, right, where it's gonna audit a lot of features, let's say that we build. So she decides, right, because she has all the qualification and experience on deciding what is what goes into the audit, right? But I think my part is more around, let's say when we try to ideate, like you know, like LinkedIn have this complete your profile thing, right? So that is usually when people think about that, they think about oh progress bar. That's it, right? Then we designer usually or not usually design usually like sometimes depending on your exposure, right? Then you think oh I just have to apply the right hierarchy, right colors, so that it, the progress bar looks. But I think at micro level, if you understand game mechanic, you know you can apply different different game mechanic to. So it, it goes back to the system, right? So do you want to reward good behavior or do you want to punish? Bad behavior, right? So, so then you start to look at choice architecture, and then choose the right game mechanic, and then that goes as an idea. So, so at micro level, I think for designer to have some exposure is very helpful because now, oh, I would say uh, your idea is more creative compared to a typical, you know, typical ones. Yeah, just so I'm, I'm not sure if I'm guessing the definition over here. Is choice architecture like your? <laughs> Designing the conditions for users to choose a certain option—is that right? Correct. And isn't there like an ethical dilemma over that? Like yes, that's why when you when you said just now when you make decision for the user, 
I think uh, Uber also has this issue last time when again if you try to gamify your app and then when let's say you're a driver and then you're tired right and then you've been driving for 12 hours and then oh just one more thing just one more thing if i do for the you know and then that will compromise your health and, and safety right so 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 yeah. one of the um, i guess generic rule is to to give a choice right ah so it's like not to force that option but actually to give it a choice even though one choice is preferred over others and of course as designers we can always highlight the choice that is more preferred for example like making the button green or orange or something like that. Correct. I mean, yes, you you use hierarchy to contrast what is the choice architecture, right? like left or right, blue or red, right? But I guess yeah. make it explicit in the sense where it's not like it's just red and then you hide the blue ones, right? You can actually get the blue one but you must click three times and you know like do all sort oh, of yeah. magic, right? So it's tricky mm. and it's also um yeah, who design on all of these things, right? So it's very interesting like I say dimension to to have an opportunity to work on these things, right? So I'm going to zoom out and ask about like your entire design career. Okay. So it doesn't yeah. just focus on grab. Have you ever got into a situation where you have an ethical dilemma as a designer before? Yes. <laughs> I think I just mentioned right earlier where, uh, <laughs> okay. but like you say, like you say, right, it's not at yeah. grab, right? It's just, and I zoom out. Yeah. In general. So my, what, what did you do? What did you do to manage that? Like, did you manage to resolve it or what did you do as a designer to manage it? I think what comes to mind, I remember I, I with one of our escalate Rebecca, right? So I think I find myself when I don't know what to do or there's no outlet to this. Sometimes I feel like uh, I quit, <laughs> I quit. I just move on, right? Find other place where, where I feel comfortable. So you've done it. You actually quit a job because of facing that ethical dilemma before. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but yes, so there are, there are, I, I changed a job a lot. So Grab is my 10th company, I would say. So yeah. I changed a lot. I moved to startups. So I would not say this because of ethical, maybe I reframe it. So when I find myself in a place that I'm compromising, right? It, it does a user experience or, you know, something about this, like what you, you mentioned, the then values. I, the values, yeah. right? So as I would rather find opportunity somewhere else rather than giving excuses to you know yeah, to the issue that actually, i contribute i think that's very brave of you because i i'm not sure if everyone will actually do that because i mean it's a job anyway and especially if it's a well-paying job right so if you don't but it's a right it's yeah. a brave and it's a privilege right so i think i acknowledge it's a so i don't at least for myself i just expect my like can i leave it with myself right so i think i'm yeah, not gonna yeah, judge yeah. someone else if they if they decide whatever i think that's up to them but I think for, at least for me, I could, could find another job, maybe less paying, doesn't matter, right? So, so I'll, yeah. Yeah. well, it's actually, a, I, I think the practice is, you know, it's very gray and it's a lot more rampant than we think. And that's always a saying, right? If I don't do it, some other designer will, right? So, uh. so <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, like, I guess for right. you, you just like, yeah, I, I, I quit. I, so <laughs> here's, here's the thing, right? So I think. I, I like that you bring this up. So I guess, again, uh, I think I've gone through this, a lot of these processes and sometimes I quit, not because of, you know, something is wrong with the company, maybe it's something wrong with me, right? Like I don't have patience and stuff like this. Um, I think it's about mindset, right? So I think I've over, over the years, I, I, I grew to learn that, you know, um, try to influence, you know, the world that you, you know, be the change, right? Basically. So, so if I yeah. feel like, or oh, this is outside my control now, rather than like 
complaining about it and stuff like how do i turn that into an opportunity right let's be a designer here right? how might we you know solve this fluff right so that's why you see that nowadays it's more about like oh people let's say maybe not on top of their mind thinking about something blah 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 then oh let's create a tool let's create an initiative so that there's less excuses for oh i'm not i'm not sure i don't understand i don't have time then when you have those tools then it makes it easier for them to to use it right to understand it yeah. I really like that. I, I think I've always known you to be a builder. So that's really nice that you bring that touch. But what I'm also hearing you say is that it's not about rich quit the, the company. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like, it's more like actually these days is like, hey, you know, like, are they actually suggesting this intentionally or unintentionally, right? If they're unintentional, can I like educate them about good ethical design practices? Or can I create a tool like what you said? Yeah, and and to be fair as well, it's not like it comes from a place where I think I know better. It's when I say opportunity, then if let's say the tool is wrong or something, then then it creates this space and again mindset of like um, I think I read this somewhere where the best way to get the right answer online is to post the the wrong one, right? So if you go to forum, you post out the wrong answer. Someone, you know, keyboard warrior is gonna go and correct you, right? But <laughs> but that's that's to me that's how I see it, right? So meaning. The best way is to put up an initiative. So maybe you are wrong, but that's fine because now the focus is less about you will listen to the outcome, right? So the, the excuses is less about I don't know, I don't. The excuses say Ajima, you are wrong. Then then correct me then, right? What you end up having is having this tool where people maybe without even realize already adopting and use the tool, but now we're just discussing the details of should I you know use this audit that you created or should I built on top of it right so now you change the conversation and the topic of discussion already yeah mm, yeah that's that's a really good point let's go somewhere lighter so like i don't know, uh, bombard you with too many technical questions how has it been working in the singapore tech scene so far because you've been here for several years now mm, how has it been i think it's been a great journey yeah like you joined grab way before the ipo i mean that was many many years ago and i think you just rose up through the ranks as well so yeah what are you observing like is there anything that you're seeing in the tech scene or at least like how grab is working that you think is very worthy to learn or that we we as other designers yeah. should know yeah right right again right i'm not gonna speak specifically for grab but i guess being at company like grab which is you know the size and the problem space that is solved and stuff like this I guess if I want to tie back to the role again as designer, I think the role evolved as well, you know. Like I think when I joined, I think my role was called UX design and I think there's a lot more UX is expected out of me, let's say when I joined back then it was like when we do the usability testing, we have a full support of UX researcher, but then over the time it is expected out of product design so they changed like the naming of the role, right? So now I have to moderate my, if it's in my language, right? Or if it's in English, if it's based in Singapore, I have to write the script. I have to, the role also, I would say, evolve. And it's a good thing, right? So I think it's, it's sort of like get you to... You get ownership. Ownership and, and work across the spectrum rather than very small specialization. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's really good. Um, and I think I'm curious, like, I know you may not have been in the Malaysia tech scene for a while, but I'm just curious, how would you sort of like compare things? Because I'm looking at a lot of startups like in Singapore actually getting like unicorn status, right? There are some startups in Malaysia that are unicorn status, like Qasim, for example, they're like lesser. So just wondering, like, do you see any difference working in Malaysia versus working in Singapore tech? Ah, hmm. This is a good question. I never thought about it. So I don't know how to answer this in terms of like contrasted Malaysia. I, even if I do, I think it's personal perspective. I think what sort of like pulled me in into like Singapore tech scene is I used to come for a conference, CSS conference actually. So it's front end conference, um, which really happened in Singapore. So every time I visit Singapore for all of these learnings, I always find that, yeah, I can it resonate with me, right? I mean... As you mentioned, like everything that, you know, all the, the kind words that you share with me, I learned all of them in Malaysia, right? So it's not like trying to say one is better than the other, right? So I think it's just a matter of, you know, what resonates better at that point of time. Then I feel like, oh, if I want to pursue and having, you know, a career that I find meaningful, you know, and I want to have that level of craft, I think the opportunity back then was like this like support group. So pre-COVID, there's like this after work, event you know so when i attend all of this in singapore i can feel sort of like oh this resonate with me better and that's why I, I choose to find opportunity in singapore yeah yeah and we're very happy to have you here building <laughs> the future of grab which is one of our unicorns i mean obviously grab actually started in, in, in malaysia first with their headquarters before they actually decide to relocate to singapore but yeah we're really glad that they have groomed so much talent over the years and we have a question from the audience and um, mm. Debbie's asking, as I understand, most people transition to UX design may not have much experience to make a career move. What kind of mindset and ability should these career transitioners have, especially during the interview process? They might be asked about unethical design, right? Oh, sorry. So just to read it again, right? I think question is it about what kind of mindset and ability we should have. Yeah, it sounds like what's the dilemma, you know, like how do I solve this dilemma? If if I'm new, I'm, I'm trying to do my interview, I'm trying to get into the industry, but in that company, they're like, maybe they're practicing a little bit of unethical design. I see, or, I see, I see. Yeah, okay, so this is a very good question. So I, I like this kind of question. So I would do this, right? For me, the way I try to navigate you know, this kind of situation is usually if you don't care about ego or care about credits, if we, again, choice architecture, right? if you try to create a workshop where you sort of like present, this is the ethical way. And, and then if that idea that you want the outcome to be comes from the people who you collaborate with, right? Or co-create with. Let's imagine like me and you, right? So let's say you being hard on me, like somehow we create a workshop where you come up with the idea, like you feel like you contributed to this, right? To me, then it's easier to serve the outcome because sometimes it's actually, you know, when it's confrontational, let's say the way I do it is like, I want to be like this Mr. Noy all person. And then I try to, oh, you, what you doing, Dylan, is unethical. So when the dynamic of working, so I, that's why I say I like the question, it's about mindset, right? So if the mindset is more about focus on the outcome rather than the output, which is like, oh, our 
experience here should not have automatic check and so so sometimes i guess when we uh, as designer right we attention to detail we get hung up on these things um, we tend to uh, forget about the outcome so i think again focus on the outcome and focus on create a environment and create a place where it feels like everyone is contributed to this idea and then i think you at least from my experience you get much easier you know collaboration less friction right because like now all of a sudden this genius ethical idea is like dalen's idea right although like you've been the one who like actually noticing it observing it and dalen will figure so it's a win win right yeah yeah I'm not sure if I'm getting you correctly but correct me if I'm wrong but what I'm hearing you say is that we shouldn't claim moral superiority over the other person right we shouldn't judge the other person hey you know like you're practicing unethical design this is bad like I don't I disagree with you yeah but if you start there it's going to be a very hard hard <laughs> yes. you know what I hear you suggesting is actually hey you know let's do a workshop together let's find a solution where we can actually do this design where it's actually ethical and then you hint to them and you try and shape that process where you are trying to influence them to more ethical practices and hopefully they get it and maybe they also feel like they're invested in it is that what you were saying exactly that right yeah so i think that, i think that's a very smart move and actually that's really how we should work with other people as designers like to be like collaborative and it doesn't really matter whether it's your idea or my idea right or who is wrong or you are right or i'm wrong right, right. so, uh, so sorry yeah. to sorry to interrupt so i think what i think i like also having some experience working in behavioral science or design is you can actually use it for I, we call it like a meta thing right so for example like what i just described to you is called a rockstar effect right if i make you a rockstar like what your idea is then you will figure about it and then like you know you end up choosing let's say you are the the decision maker right in these things so if you apply rockstar effect right methodology which is make you feel like rather than i am being this person like you say right giving you all of this ethical and now all of a sudden there's this connotation that you know you're a bad person you're unethical so you can sort of apply these things to your daily you know to your daily life i love that i love that you're using it in stakeholder management this is like exactly of, yes that's really awesome yeah I, i didn't know there was a term for it but yeah that's the rockstar effect for all of you listening in hope we answered your question and yeah let's talk a little bit about your transition process because i know you you were first a web developer and then after that you joined the design team at Aviva where where I met you and then you went fully into design cuz I remember when you joined you were doing a bit of code or yeah right you were you were still right. like coding for us a little yes. bit right right i guess not like production code but at least some yeah. mvp code right With yeah our, exactly yeah, our exactly. colleague right john yeah as colleague john Yeah yeah um so I guess the question was how do I translate or like or Yeah like can like, you describe that transition process when you you went from code to like design and then like fully on like design cuz I think if I remember correctly a lot of what you learn is like self taught and just like you practicing Right right the role like if you look at the naming of the role probably you see Aviva is is the place where I make that transition but actually in my last company I work with in 
in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur Kau team. That is where the role is called front-end dev, but I also volunteer to help out the design part. So that I think back then we don't have Figma, we use Sketch and stuff. That's how I would describe it, right? Like if you see an opportunity and you know you want it, back then I'll just, the design could use some help and I would do it, right? I would say I will, I will absorb this responsibility and, you know, start. I mean, my design was very bad back then and I don't know a lot of things, right? But that's how you learn, like on the job, I would say. Um, and then I actually worked for a small startup yeah, based in, in Block 71 for two months before I joined Aviva. So I was also a designer there. Um, maybe I should not name this company, but yeah. So I was working for them for two months and then I joined Aviva after, after that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I remember you feeling a little maybe out of the water when you were first like picking up design. So how do you make that process easier on yourself like during the transition process, right? So, yeah, let's start with that. Bad news is not going to get easier now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I think, I would not say easier, right? So I think for me at least, it's a mindset shift, right? So I, you also mentioned it in the introduction again, right? I actually started as digital marketer. It's about if you have that fear or like, oh, this is outside of my comfort zone. I think the more you spend time there, the less, what's the right word here? It's like the less sensitive you feel on the fear itself. Right? Like, oh, I mean, obviously I've gone through all of the experience with imposter syndrome all the time, right? But I think once you be there almost all the time, then you feel like I just have to, again, shift the mindset of like learning. I think I also mentioned that that's how at least I navigate, right? Like I learn it. And then the best way to learn is by doing it, right? And if you can do it and you cannot, you know, when you share with others and others don't get what you mean, maybe you need more practice. Then if you can sort of like make people understand about what you do and what is your intention, then I think that's how you know you at least have some competency level on the craft that you're trying to master, right? Mm. Yeah, I think that is so true. So you just kind of grind it out and just try and I mean, there's support system. So sorry, so sorry to cut you off. But I think fe fellow designers, you know, I think I, I always go back to mindset and behavior. So I think being being humble enough to when you don't know things, right? It's okay to just I don't know how to do this, right? So there's a lot of like I mean, if you want to see like in terms of like let's say what you can do in terms of pillars or or, or, or dimension again, right? Is that okay? Have your support system. So what is your support system? Is it online and offline? or blah, 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 right? So back then, I guess in Aviva, there was, there's a designer, right? There's Rebecca, there's... Yeah, there were there oh, were a few people. Yeah, like, a few like, people, right? Yeah. So, so then we can learn from each other, that's one. And then like I mentioned the, um, the conference and the after office stuff. So there's a lot of support system that, yeah. So I just make sure that I have all of these and it address different, different things, right? For all of these support systems. That's so true. I, I realized I learned quite a bit about product management at Aviva as well. Just learning from our London colleagues who were like a little bit more mature in the practice. Right, right. Community um, as well, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really wonderful. And these days, designers have websites like ADP lists, right? So they can find a mentor uh. and they can get a mentor. Are you on that list or are you, are you mentoring people or how are you? Yes. I didn't know you're going to ask this, but somehow I was preparing for this. Uh, so if you go to my website and forward slash pay dash it dash forward, pay it forward, I actually have like a page so right dedicated for this. So I, I don't join ADP list, but I've been trying to give back. Like I tell you right earlier, right? I'm, I'm here because of my privilege. So, it's, you know, 
I should pay for it. For me, at least I contribute to my alumni sort of like network, right? So I, yeah. I just don't feel as comfortable like trying to um, market, you know, mentor because like again, there's imposters in them and all this kind of stuff. So personally, right. I just choose. Are you personally like open to it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Great. So you guys discovered Achmal here. On <laughs> curious call, he's not on ADP list, so you can't find him there. But I'm sure. Can they reach out to you on LinkedIn or something? On my website. So if you go to my website, I actually say the the best way to contact okay. me is from my website and I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go hunt your website now but yeah okay we'll we'll make sure that people who are here as part of the live audience uh, gets a link to your website and um, that's really great and you know do you have any advice for people who are transitioning like you talk a lot about mindset yeah so what's what kind of mindset should people have other than what you mentioned right of being open to to learning from others Right, it's a good question. Advice, I actually I really decide to give advice because it usually is very you know it works for me, but maybe it doesn't work for other people, right? But yeah, so I think if I were to maybe share my personal perspective how I go through about it, I think one thing I realize, I mean I mentioned I acknowledge my privilege, but one thing I realize, the company the org that you want to work with doesn't owe you anything, right? So think of it as like even in the beginning think of it as transactional, meaning. I must contribute something in order for them to pay me as a designer, right? So I transition a lot, right? Digital marketer. So so why would someone pay me a front-end dev compensation when I'm a digital marketer, right? So again, I was, you know, oh, there's this opening and there's this opportunity, then maybe I'll do it. I'll not say for free, but yeah. So you, you do it first, showcase that you can contribute to it. And then I guess... When people can see that oh you actually able to do it, then I think the the conversation is is much easier. That's how I actually started for the front end dev. So if you know your way around Google, full right, so you can Google. I actually offer up to the world to build their website for free, right? So I think it's about three to five website for free. Um, again, it's a privilege I can survive to provide for free. I don't suggest like you know you should do it yeah, for free. Yeah, it. not everyone can do it. So I'm not saying that, but at least back then I could afford to do it. Um, but that's what I did because like again the mindset is less about oh I have this knowledge then this for you should pay me so I think the mindset was if I can contribute to something that bring value to you I think you have no problem paying to me right so if you have that mindset and at least for me it works for me right I keep changing this you know role and then it works for me yeah I really like that I mean it's kind of like give first mindset right I'm willing to give what it takes first and then I'll get what I want in a way yeah yeah, I love that. I mean, that's a very abundant mindset because you feel like you have enough to give before you like you need to take something. So that's really wonderful. So since you're like mentoring people and you're helping people, you know, what are some of the more common challenges that you see for people who are like trying to transition or to get into UX, you know? I think it's very unique, at least for the network that I, I'm in. So it's Sometimes it's, it's less about like this common or generic roadblock for them. So let's say some design is more extrovert, but then struggle with certain things. It's very case by case basis. So for example, like maybe some of them have challenge in, in whiteboarding, let's say, right? So then what we do then, let's have a mock in the view, right? So something like that. So I think it's very different from... So I guess that's another thing, right? So I think by having that like you say right mindset of abundance 
and then you would realize and learn what is your strength, right? So maybe I have a strength in something, right? Maybe if my background was marketing, then I know how to market myself or I know how to code. So, but then I don't know how to do a usability test because you know back then there's no bootcamp and stuff like that, right? So, so once you know where's your strength, then again, when you apply a job, maybe if there's a company that really looking for that role and you have that strength, then that's where you can double down. It's almost like the Aviva job, right? If you if you remember, mm. yeah, you mentioned yourself, right? you have to code, right? So, but it's not expected for designer to code. But my title back in Aviva was UX designer, right? So I see that, oh, check this, I'm a good fit for this role, right? So apply, right? So, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember back then you were just like, uh, or, or I don't know, consciously or unconsciously, like our manager was like stretching you. <laughs> oh, Ashmal's not very used to doing research. Let's get Ashmal to do more research. <laughs> but I no, but thank God for that, right? So I guess it yeah. become a good challenge and yeah, good experience. Yeah, yeah so I, I think you were up for that challenge and you were open to it. And I think that also helps make you a more rounded designer. And by the time you left, you were ready to work at Grab and be like, I mean, if I remember correctly, you were a full stack developer. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was front end. I don't know. No, you were just front end. Okay, okay, got it. Well, I could, I could at least say like you're a full stack designer now, right? No, 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 no such thing. Is so, there no? <laughs> no such thing. There's no such thing. Yeah. There's so many dimensions, right? So I don't want to say layer. It's not layer, right? There's inclusive design. There's accessibility. There's interaction design. There's so there's no such thing. I mean, maybe there is a unicorn. That may there may be a unicorn somewhere. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not it. So I'm not it. I I mean, I'm looking at your skill set. Like you, you can code. You're interested in behavior design. You can do UX research. You can do UX design. Like no problem at all. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. Like, you come very close to what I would imagine as startups would want to hire like a unicorn, but. <laughs> There's a keyword here. So what do you imagine? If you imagine a spectrum, I think I imagine like this kite, you know, thing where footballers like, oh, pipes passing, dribbling, you know, like, so I think it's impossible for someone to have like, you know, a very full, right? So. Oh, right. So like from all the way from one end to the other, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So things like, I don't have so much experience, maybe accessibility design. So that is a bit short. Mm. Maybe it's not because like, I'm bad at it. I just don't have opportunity to solve, you know, or to explore yeah. those, right? So, so that's why I said it's, it depends how do you define. Yeah, yeah that's, that's excellent that you point that out because like in UX, we're always working in a team and it's like the strength of the team um, right, that determines right. the strength of the work um, in the end. So I think you make really good points because we help polish each other and make the work even better in this case. And I think uh, someone was asking in the audience as well, like, you know, what is the benefit of using a design system as a designer and as a developer, right? Would you be able to answer that? Yeah, I also trying to look at this question. Uh, maybe I reframe a bit the question, right? So I think, I think it might be tempted to think that, you know, or knowing this skill make you code faster, maybe in some capacity or in some context, yes. But sometimes, so to me, at least I see it as a ability of, of having the clarity. So meaning sometimes you need to slow down actually, right? It's not always about being fast. So I say, let's use example of like, people will do speed read, right? So people do speed reading. It's not about like, I can finish this book very fast, right? Because it's about, you can read very fast, but when it times, you know, you want to absorb what you want, you actually slow down, right? So when it comes to that, it's actually about control. You can control your speed, right? Yeah, so that's the general answer to this. But I think 
the question is more I think you you were asking yeah what what is the benefit of using a design system as a developer or designer yeah right so I think it solves a lot of things right so you would have more cohesive and harmonious design right meaning what that means is rather than open book then I can design whatever buttons I want you can and then imagine you have hundred of you then which one do we and I think also important to see from the lens of the customer right if the customer have you know every time I change the services right let's say i'm trying to order food or i try to book a ride then every time i have to learn this ui or learn this experience because of all of the different different contexts then there's a very high cognitive load right so by having a harmonious and cohesive experience which actually what design system is aimed you know to do that definitely you know not just help the customer but help you to build faster as well so now we know oh it's almost like lego block right so if you know like you have this Lego set and stuff. So if you have some, you know, product or experience which you want to create, then you know how to compose these building blocks in a way, right? But if you don't have Lego, let's say, you give you a clay, then just give me something, Dylan, right? Give me a, a, a ship, right? Can you build a ship? Then you do your own way and stuff. But if you give me a Lego, then almost... Yeah, it's maybe. a lot easier to build from Lego blocks than to design from scratch. Exactly. Right? And it helps with code as well, for sure, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a very good analogy. You know what? I was just checking out your website, and I'm I want to point out like a few things. So I'm gonna share screen, which I usually no. never don't do. But um, wow, like this is amazing. So Achmel has actually been a podcast host before uh, for an internal design podcast back in 2019 with fellow designer Ting Lang. So yeah, tell me about that experience, like you know, hosting like an internal design podcast. Like, is it still ongoing or what's what's happening? No, so uh, as he says there, it's only 11 episodes. Yeah, maybe we do season two or something. Yeah, I think, again, for me, it's opportunity to learn, learn how to, like what we're doing here, right? So I think I have this fear of speaking in public and stuff. And like, maybe it's still now. I, I, I stutter a lot and a lot of fillers and stuff. So when I do this, you know, co-hosting, then I get to listen back to my, you know. Th- I think I would say there's multiple sort of like outcome and, and benefit of doing this, right? So again, we don't just interview design, we actually interview others. So I get to learn about other roles as well. So we interview TPM, you know, UX researcher, you know. So I use that as an opportunity. And I think my takeaway for this activity was in the series we have this thing where what did you learn this week so i really like that question so you'll be surprised when you ask people like what did you learn this week so we get wow. you know a lot of answer so it's just that i get to learn as well right? like oh i didn't know about this i don't know about this and you know so yeah Th- that's really awesome I'm, I'm wondering after you did this like personal project like what has it helped your career in any way or like did it make you more visible in the organization um, <laughs> not really yeah. not really actually uh I think it's, it just helps me. So now I think I do presentation more, a lot as well. Yeah, it gives me confidence. So it was like practice for you. Yeah, so I think, it, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, it, it means a lot of things to me. And then I think I talk about being in lead level. So I, back then I was senior and then like, how do I scale myself, right? So it's sometimes what I scale, so it's not just how do I scale my, like, oh, I want to be, you know, clone myself. So sometimes it's about maybe design as you see these themes of, you know, engineer, analytics and designer we are all design partners right maybe to make 
us collaborate better is to actually you know share a perspective of engineer to your fellow design right so so just by interviewing and giving context and you know asking question then we oh i didn't know tpm do this i didn't know you know so mm-hmm. that's another way to and then it's just one of the things where you know maybe so, not a lot of people you know maybe or not not, not everyone into podcast right so sometimes it's the format you know like this is one of it maybe some of it was like if you scroll down right this is self-serving tools and stuff like that so just yeah. try to come up with a lot of format that might reach to different different kind of audience yeah it's just wonderful initiative and i also noticed over here which is why i wanted to share screen that you were working with pretty you actually came up together some frameworks which i think we mentioned it earlier right about how do you nudge responsibly so these these are ethical dilemmas right and what's the ethical framework back in 2019 and a gamification playbook this is really interesting is this in a is the product in the form of a book or what's happening um some of this is in like a format of a document right and the playbook is in the format of a web sites so it's like a website Very where cool. you can land and then there's a link to slack and then there's a embedded slides and there's like a uh it's almost like this small tools where you know if you go to e-commerce where you want to filter or black colors and you know um size m and stuff like that so we almost have like this laundry list of game mechanic then we have this dimension that you can filter you know what is your yeah. business goal what is you know the user level so we have all of this stuff so then just to help with the ideation process Yeah, so for those of you who are interested to check out like the screen I was mentioning about, you can just type in achmalafif.com. So it's a j m a l a f i f.com. That's Achmal's like personal site. This is like something you can go and check it out. And well, thanks for sharing that. And I was just wondering, you know, like it seems like you work on a lot of side projects or, you know, mini projects outside of your work scope and your responsibility. Would you encourage designers to do that like in general? Yes. So in general, I feel like yeah, do whatever you feel meaningful and productive to you. So I think all of us have our own sort of like priorities in life, right? Maybe I don't necessarily think you have to do, but I think for me it's just natural for me. I feel excited like doing. So I I have this setup. It's not because of the podcast. Actually, the podcast setup was very minimal setup. I'm doing this for like a private streaming. So that's one of the productivity hack that I do. So I do private streaming. So it's just that I always find myself there's a lot of books also in background. So I think I just enjoy applying knowledge that I absorb. So for example like you know, oh, gamification playbook or I have to code the website. So I feel like if I know stuff but if I don't really think about the outcomes or bringing value with the knowledge, I feel like I'm just like this useless library where i have all the knowledge but i'm not giving value to others so i think it's just more an outlet to apply what i learn yeah and maybe i have some kind of fixation on on trying to to have this mastery of you know there's this yeah. thing that i'm trying to bridge between design and and code um yeah and try to 
have more yeah, that, that. yeah yeah that's really good I, I remember i think this was years ago we talked about it and i think it was you who showed me this website where people were just like building mini products and they were making money out of it well it was you right <laughs> maybe yeah maybe it was yes I, I don't know what's the name of the site it's like hackers or something like that like indie that. hacker oh yeah yeah. Uh, yeah indie hackers or something like that you know so that's why i always remember you as like a builder so like are you also like thinking of like doing something like that in future because i know our manager went on to, to do that and, and he's right, built a business right, around right. it right um one thing i realized after jumping a lot of sort of like roles if it becomes your full-time job it's, it's no longer enjoyable so i think at least for me i find like you know some of the hobby that i have i have few hobbies but being able to code without having the stress of deadline and like bug fixing you know all this kind of stuff it's just great right but who knows right maybe in the right time and chapter of my life maybe having that independence and stuff maybe that will help then maybe I, i would consider it but i think for now it's more around uh yeah and i think one thing i realized that keep driving me that i don't necessarily feel like i should oh i learned this so i must retrofit this to my work but it just feels good when when the time is right then oh actually i know some of this stuff let's say like the engineer saying oh we are using react blah 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 because like you have sort of explored those stuff then you're like oh I can sort of understand what you're talking about, right? So it is really sometimes helps with your work. So it, yeah, that's that's just a I guess a bonus. It's like you're tinkering. And yes. Yeah. Tinkering. Like like I think like a fun fact for everyone who which is what fascinates me about Ajmal is that uh Ajmal actually has a degree in actuarial science in case you don't know what that means. Uh like insurers use actuarial science to determine like the amount of premiums they should charge someone. So it's you had to study economic principles for that someone actually asked how do you spell that <laughs> so yeah like you mentioned some of your hobbies so, like tell us like one hobby that people don't okay so Ashwell obviously studied it <laughs> um, um yeah what's, what's the I mean I have few I mean I I I I lost touch with some of it I used to play futsal and stuff like this uh, play video games um and I, right now I'm learning Japanese yeah okay. language uh, So so that's my hobby now. I'm I'm right right now learning how to read time in Japanese. So yeah. So that's that's what I'm doing now. Okay, interesting. So I'm going to use a question that you used to ask your podcast guests. What did you learn this week? <laughs> nice. Ah, uh, what do I learn this week? I have a diary. Should I open up my diary. What did I learn this week? Um, so what I wrote down here is what I learned if <laughs> this is very specific. So if ever in your design you talk about persona right maybe it's good to share a percentage of how many segment of your user resonate with the persona because sometimes if you talk about this persona stuff depends on school of thought some people think this is outdated right because like oh your user is blah blah blah, blah. so many from you know so to generalize it to three or four you know is probably overgeneralizing right like it's not accessible or kind of stuff but i think if there is a need and time to share a persona just by mentioning oh by the way this account for 60% of our user because our product is crypto or something like that then all of a sudden you know it carries more weight to the <laughs> i'm sorry it's very specific but <laughs> this is what I, this is my last note so this is what i learned this week 
Yeah, this this is like actually a very interesting note because I think that Persona's got so much um, <laughs> flack for for being inaccurate and people were criticizing it and like some people say, hey, you don't have to use it for every project. Every bootcamp teach you to create a Persona, right? So like how useful it is, is it has been always up for debate and I think this is a really a good point. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, because one thing I teach my students is like, a good persona is whereby when you show it to someone who's either in the same segment or related to that segment around the same age group, they're going to say, hey, this reminds me of someone I know, right? So like, right. like when people actually say that, you know, like you've done a good job writing the persona because it's detailed enough, but also you've done a good job like highlighting some of the things uh, and attributes of the, the person. So that's something I tell my students as well so yeah it's, it makes a lot of sense to me just as a passing note I, w I was wondering do you have any advice for you know your juniors here today like what advice would you give to like your much younger <laughs> UX design self mm. it's a very good question I think you asked this question but, but yeah I'll try to answer it anyway I think goes to the mindset right I think the mindset of always learning and it's like a lifelong sort of like journey right like, like i mentioned to you earlier like design is so broad right it can be and then i would say learn about yourself as well so meaning like for example like again coming from digital marketing and all this stuff, so when i found that i actually enjoy being a designer i stick to it right instead of oh now it's not design i don't i want to try something else so just by you know knowing myself better i feel like now i feel like okay design is where i can contribute meaningfully on the strategy and influence the roadmap you know yeah so that is where i feel in in product life cycle at least like i find myself enjoying the process right championing the user right and then like if you know how to code then you can also contribute a bit about the solution or the product that you want to build so rather than let's say the opposite i am <laughs> developer who can design then then sometimes it's a bit sometimes the setup of where you work maybe does not necessarily help you to maybe to me it's still helpful to to be a multi-dimensional sort of like professional but i still think at least what i enjoy is to be a designer who could yeah and and actually maybe this could be your new tagline um this is my marketer hit like turning around it's i think you have a thing for languages you get it? Maybe. But yeah, I'm you have a thing about languages, right? Because you said you're learning Japanese and Thai, but you actually you know quite a number of languages, so to speak, like including coding. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I put, it, I put it in my website. I say I'm learning Japanese and JavaScript. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing, right? Like you could say like you're a designer who loves languages. <laughs> Um, but with that, um, thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your experiences. Yeah, it was fun catching up and learning more about you. And thank you everyone in the audience for your questions. Um, we shall see you next month in another session of Working in UX Design. And thank you very much everyone for attending. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please let me know what you think. Get in touch with me over email at mail at curiouscore.com. I would love to hear from you. Do also check out our previous interviews and other free resources at curiouscore.com. 
And until next time, I'll see you on the next episode. Take care and keep leaning into change.